Hello and welcome to the Joshua Nemus Show where you get a shot of truth with your coffee. I'm very glad to have you with us today. We have a lot to talk about. Um, there's a lot of things going on right now, but uh, one of the things that we're going to be focusing on in today's show is Senator Dianne Feinstein, the senior senator from California. Um, back in 18, when the midterms were going on, we spent quite a bit of time on Senator Feinstein um, because we brought on her opponents, the people who ran against her, namely Allison Hartson and former State Senate Pro Tem Kevin DeLeon, who's now a city councilman in Los Angeles County. And we brought them on because we felt it was time for a change and it was time for something different for our California senator. Diane Feinstein, who's uh, serving in the Senate, has been in been in the Senate for 25 years, well, over 25 years now, but she's been serving in one form of elected office or another for the past 50 years. And it's very honorable that she served us so long and that she's devoted her life to public service. But the issue we have is where she stands on the issues, whether it comes to money in elections, whether it comes to the wars, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, the Patriot Act, which we don't really talk about that much anymore. Dianne Feinstein tends to end up on the wrong side of issues, not because she's a bad person, but because we disagree with her. And because of that, we work considerably hard to find a replacement in 18. That did not happen. But this week, we not we broke, but the news broke a little bit. Governor Gavin Newsom went on the news circuit because we have the recall election happening. It looks like at this point there's enough signatures to go ahead with the recall. And because of that, Gavin Newsom went on the readout on MSNBC by Joy Reid. And Joy Reid asked Governor Newsom, will you appoint a black woman to fill Dianne Feinstein's seat if she retires? And Newsom said, yes, we're going to play that clip here. And then when we play the clip, we'll come back and talk for a second. Okay, we are out of time, out of time, out of time. I have to go to a break, but I have to, this is a yes or no answer that you could give me. Yeah. Uh, if, in fact, Dianne Feinstein uh, were to retire, uh, will you nominate an African-American woman um, to restore the seat that Kamala Harris is no longer in the United States Senate? And do you have a name in mind? I have multiple names yes in mind. No. We have multiple names in mind, and the answer is yes. Okay, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, thank you very much for really and so you just heard Governor Newsom there say yes, he'd appoint a black woman to be in the Senate seat that Feinstein currently holds. Now, we're not that concerned about what race or gender or nationality or whoever holds the seat. Um, it would balance things out if it was a black woman simply because Kamala Harris was the sole black female in the Senate before she was made VP and was replaced and so now you're missing that voice there and we believe that there is a benefit in having diversity and so every voice matters 
But that's not the issue what we're doing here. What we want to talk about is no matter who it is, I believe it is past time that we brought someone in to serve in the Senate seat. And so we're going to listen to two interviews we did with people who were running against Senator Feinstein. The first will be Allison Hartson, who ran. And then followed by that, we'll have a short piece by Kevin DeLeon. And what I want to drive home is there's so many issues. When you think about what's going on, whether it's ending the wars, whether it's ending private prisons, whether it is getting money out of politics, whatever the privacy rights, the Patriot Act, which I think we just said, the point is there's so many issues that are so key and so important. And Dianne Feinstein is not on the right side of them. She voted for both wars. She voted to authorize the Patriot Act, which is anything but patriotic. It gives the government the right to go into your emails, to go into your phones, to go into all this. And when you think about the Patriot Act, which was put in in 2002, what um, didn't seem like the biggest invasion of privacy then Largely, we didn't live on technology back then. We did a lot of things in writing and other things. But nowadays, you realize that whether you're on social media, you're on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or any of these things, or whether you do emails, whatever it is, the majority of our lives are done on a phone. And especially now, you think about this last year that we've been in lockdown, and you're not going out as much. You're on Zoom calls and everything else. And so you have to think of everything that you put on your phone. And without the need of a warrant, someone could say, you know what? I don't like Tom over there. I don't like Bill. I don't like Susie. Let's go into their phones. Let's look in their emails. And without you ever knowing it, they're starting to go through every text message you ever sent out, every phone call, every private message every DM, which I think will horrify a lot of young people um, of what goes down in the DMs. And you realize that you have a lot of people looking through that, not because you're a true national security threat, but because they've made it so wide the net they cast that there is no such thing as a private and personal life anymore. And you have to ask yourself, do you feel threatened right now as an American citizen? The idea that some person's going to come from overseas and harm us, that you want to give up every ounce of privacy you have. Because um, a number of years ago, they were introducing into the airports, and we're going to really go off somewhere else now. But those nude body scanners, where you go stand in and they take the x-ray picture of your body, and everybody was so upset. They're, oh my goodness, look at this person looking at me. Um... And they're invading your privacy. Well, now, instead of that happening to you for a 30-second window with one person looking at you, you have the whole government looking at everything beyond a 30-second glimpse of you. We're talking about every fiber of your being now, digitally, they have in their examining. So the Patriot Act needs to go. The warrantless wiretapping needs to go. We need to end the wars that are going on. We need to pull back the AUMF, which is the authorized use of military force. 
And all these things are outdated and antiquated. And so we really jump into that. Also, private prisons, there's no reason for private prisons. The idea that someone's making a profit off locking someone up. And if you're running a business, say you're running a hamburger stand, the point of you running that is to make money. And so what are you going to do? You're going to do whatever you can to make as much money as possible. So if you're operating a prison for profit, then what are you going to do? You're going to try to get as many people locked up as possible for as long as possible so you can make profit. And you shouldn't do that when you're locking people up. That's not something to make a profit off of. So whether you're looking at your civil liberties, whether you're looking at wars, whether you're looking at private prisons, whether you're looking to get money out of politics, super PACs, it's all a nightmare. Feinstein has voted wrong on every single one of those issues, and it's time for her to go. So without me giving a filibuster here myself, let's go ahead and listen to our interview we did with Allison Hartson and Kevin DeLeon, and I'll come and close it out. And Diane Feinstein, you know, she has been serving in Congress as our senator for a quarter of a century. And she has been in government for half a century. And her policies that she started with in the Senate in, 90, in 1992 have not progressed with the rest of the state. She supports Big Brother by supporting the Patriot Act, which supports wire, uh, uh, warrantless wiretappings wire on, on our, private, our private lives. I do not support that whatsoever. Uh, she supports uh, Glass, Glass-Steagall, or she does not support Glass-Steagall, which helped to get us into this, this financial crisis, this housing crisis in 08. She does not support health care for all, which I do. She does not support college for all, which I do. Um, she, she supports money in politics. All you have to do is, lo is look at how many corporations, including defense contractors, uh, ha contribute to her campaign. The list goes on and on. She supports the death penalty. I mean, she's, she's, living, in a, she's living in an old era, and it, it, honestly, she just hasn't progressed with the rest of us, and so it's time for a new generation. You hit on so many issues I was going to ask about, so we'll take this apart um, sure. piece by piece. I think you're right. The most important issue is money and politics, and Citizens United is a travesty on us um, because whoever puts the money in obviously feels they're going to get the most out of this. And so you said you've worked to um, pass the get a 28th Amendment going. Can you um, talk to us a little bit why it's so dangerous about money and politics and why we need to get rid of it? Well, you know, it's really, in my mind, pretty simple that wh whoever you work for, you get a paycheck, hopefully, right? <laughs> and whoever pays your paycheck, you're going to do what they ask you to do in order to keep your job. And so we need money in order to run campaigns. There's no secret about that. So essentially, whoever ends up funding your campaign when you're running for office becomes your employer. Those are the people you end up answering to during the rest of your time in office. And so when the people who fund your campaigns are corporations who have a, a vested interest in their profit, and that always supersedes the interest of the people, 
then those are the decisions that you're going to make when you're in office. And, and it's, it's, it's almost human nature. We have to like protect ourselves <laughs> against it and make sure that the people who are funding our campaigns are the people, the individuals, the human beings who are our constituency, the people who we represent. When we have publicly funded elections instead of privately funded elections, then all of the representatives in Congress and our state legislatures and our local office will be obligated to serve the people who they are representing. And that is why I am not taking any corporate money for my campaign. I'm not taking any super PAC money for my campaign whatsoever. I am determined to fight for democracy with democracy. We've got to get publicly funded elections. And in the meantime, we've got to run our campaigns the way that they need to be. And I think that's so huge to emphasize what she just said here. She's not taking super PAC money. She's um, not taking corporate money. And I think that's so important. I think everybody who's running for any office but in this race needs to make the same declaration because um, whose voice matters? If someone can give $500 and another person's able to give you know, $50,000, we know whose voice is going to end up being heard. And so it's so important to limit the money and to take the step that Allison is so that we have a fair system, so everybody's voice is heard. Now, another thing you brought up, and so we'll check down the list, is um, when it comes to the issues of really our civil liberties, you brought up the Patriot Act, which was a horrible thing, the warrantless wiretapping, the NSA, and we aren't really discussing this at the moment like we were, maybe, say, a year ago, but it's so important. Um, can you talk to us the importance of getting rid of the Patriot Act? Um, I won't ask if you would have voted for it because it's quite clear you wouldn't, but can you talk to us a little bit about why it's important we protect our civil liberties? Sure. Um, one of the biggest reasons is it's a waste of our money. It does not make us any safer. Instead of spending our tax dollars on this kind, these kind of big government operations, we need to be investing in our infrastructure. We need to be investing in education. We need to be investing in health care. And it's a diversion from the things that really truly are hurting our communities, especially our communities of color. And so um, there, there's that. There's also a precedence. So oftentimes what you'll have is corporate Democrats who will support something like the Patriot Act, like Dianne Feinstein did, but then not have the foresight to see what that is going to do when it gets in the hands of somebody like Trump, right? So there are a lot of decisions that were made under Obama that now Trump is, or, or even under Bush, that now Trump has his hands on, and that's dangerous. We have to really understand the importance of precedence. And we can go back to uh, FISA, F-I-S-A. This um, had to, to do with um, like our phone records. So prior to me getting involved in politics, let me back up a little bit, I was a high school teacher. And I worked in Garden Grove uh, in a, in a um, low-income area, and it was primarily first, second, third generation immigrants from Mexico, and um, the second population was from Vietnam. And I saw the, the laws that were being passed that were affecting my students, and it's a large part of why I got involved in this issue of money and politics. 
and it, while I was teaching, uh, we talked. We used to re we would read 1984 by George Orwell. You know that book. We're getting pretty close to it now, but yes. That's exactly right. And so when I look at that, when I read stuff like that, uh, I think about precedence. Are we headed that way? And if we are, how do we stop it? And so we have to stop being so short-sighted as a country. We have to stop being so reactionary to everything that happens and, and really take everything into consideration. And so during that time, uh, the, the FISA essentially was passed, and this allowed phone companies to sell our phone records to the government without our permission. And now we see this happening with the Internet as well. And now you have the Patriot Act with, with the warrantless wiretapping, and you've got, you've got the situation with the drones coming on. And, and like you said, this is something that was a hot topic a year ago, and now people are moving away from it, and that's what happens. As soon as something happens, we get enraged, and then eventually we get distracted because there's so much going on in the country, and there's so much going on in the world, and then they get away with it. And I am here to not let them get away with that. I'm going to hold their feet to the fire for every decision that they have made that has gotten us to this point, not just from here moving forward. And I think um, this was just an amazing thing what she said here because each one of us has a right to live our lives. And I, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who said anyone who would sacrifice Liberty for security deserves neither. Could have been someone else, but I believe it was him. But the idea is a lot of times these events happen and we jump and say, okay, um, government, save us, do whatever it takes. But we don't look at who's doing this. And as she said, with it started under Bush and then Obama and Trump. And no matter what political party you're in, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you think, okay, as long as my guy's doing it, it's okay. But what you don't realize is the uh, next time it's likely to be the other side. And I don't think any of us would truly feel comfortable with Donald Trump having this kind of power. So when it comes to these issues, we need to pull these back. And I think it's so great that Allison um, has made her um, opinion very clear on that. Let me um, jump to one other thing with you. Um, We've been in the war on terror for 16 years now. Uh, 2001, we did it three days after 9-11, and we came up with an AUMF, Authorized Use of Military Force. And in that time frame, we've had a largely brand-new Congress and Senate, and this was voted on 16 years ago, and we're still under it. And you could see that we're in Afghanistan, Iraq, we're having problems with Iran, just this last month, we've heard what's going on in Africa, and we have possibly something with North Korea. Do you feel we need to repeal the AUMF and come up with a new one, much more limited in scope, or what are your feelings about that? A absolutely. You know, this war on terror is make not making us any safer. In fact, it is putting us more in harm's way on so many levels. The world is angry at us. We are spending more of our tax dollars on the military-industrial complex, which also relates to what we were just talking about in regards to the Patriot Act and others. This idea that the government is is protecting us, so so you know, give up your securities, give up your freedoms, and we will protect you. And fear, 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 fear. 
it it is when you if you read 1984 it is like this this whole double think right it's like upside down bizarro world no we are not any safer and then when you add to the fact that the so much of our money is going into this military industrial complex which means what that we're not investing in our own country and when we invest in ourselves we become safer we've got war on our streets right now the number of people who are being arrested for for let, let me say just give give one example okay mm -hmm. diane feinstein had it continues the war on drugs she believes that marijuana should not be legalized for recreational use i do mm -hmm. and in 2010 she led a campaign against the legalization of marijuana which means she supports people being arrested for recreational use of marijuana and overcrowding our prison system rather than spending that money and allowing our police to actually focus on the real crimes that are happening. That is a huge problem. So it's all it's really all interconnected when you ask about what do we need to be doing in term in terms of the war on on terror, um, in terms of how much we are spreading ourselves thin in these intervention needless wars. And as a and as a former high school teacher, I will tell you that I saw so many of my students who couldn't afford college, who were really wondering whether or not or why they should even bother trying in high school. Good kids, good families, thinking, you know what, my only option is to go into the military. And that broke my heart that that's the only option that we ultimately have for our, our working poor as far as a government service. We, we've, we're, we're so backwards and we've got to flip that around. We've got to have these conversations and we've got to figure out a better way. And the, the good news is that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We know how to do better. And a lot of progressives are talking about this, but we've got to get some bold progressives in office, especially in Congress, who are going to not just talk about it, but fight for it. And I think... Uh, an issue we care about a lot here is our youth and children, and it's so, so vital. And the money, there's multiple ways we could go on this, but the money we spend in these wars that we shouldn't be in, but we could be spending on education, we could be spending on after-school programs in so many ways um, to help our young people and to um, revitalize the American economy in, in the same time. Let me ask you, since you were talking about the war on drugs and everything, criminalization, where do you stand on criminal justice reform, and where do you stand on private prisons? Do you feel Ugh. that we should... Uh, <laughs> gave me the <laughs> no, answer. There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where are you on criminal justice reform? We... Uh, there's there's a an attack, essentially, specifically on our communities of color. And there's so much to be said about it um, that has to do with, again, investing in our school system. We, we need to deprivatize our public prisons, but we also need to deprivatize our education system. Every single child deserves a quality education, no matter what economic situation you happen to be born into. Mm -hmm. And that... They, they, they both work hand in hand. When, when, a, when a kid in an inner city school is struggling with, 
what's going on in the streets and whether or not being in school is even going to make a difference and having a hard time focusing in school then that is almost a straight line into prison and we have the data to prove this um, so yes we've got to address that and um, uh, in California we have the we spend the most amount of money for people in prison mm -hmm. $75,000 per person in prison. Wow. And that is $12,000 more than it costs to send somebody to Harvard for one year, including their room, board, and other expenses. And that's unconscious. Isn't it? That is disgusting. It makes me sick to my stomach. And this is after we, uh, at the state of California, was forced to start releasing people from prison for very, very like low crime uh, and or or offenses, reducing them to a misdemeanor. And the cost of having people in prison has not gone down. And so it's reasonable to question, is somebody making, stuffing their pockets with that? We, I don't hear that being talked about. And so we've, you know, at least by the people in power who are making these decisions. So we've, we've the, that's one of the ways that we could um, help to, help to make sure our taxes are being spent in the most efficient way possible while also protecting our communities. And that is really important. And one thing is um, just, before we even deal with you know the prison to begin with but just the for-profit prisons which are so ridiculous because if you have a business for-profit you're gonna do whatever you can to not only stay where you are but to increase your market share and so I think we need to get rid of for-profit prisons altogether and we need to work and I know in DC there's a lot of people working on criminal justice reform but we really need to take a um, a very big look and we need to fix this problem because um, a number of issues but in California we put so much money toward prisons and not that much toward education but also in America as a whole I believe the US is five percent of the world population but 25 percent of the world's prison population which is so absolutely ridiculous but how do you think we see now that in D.C. that it's just a mess right now, nothing's working, um, we have a circus going on there. How do you think we can clean up what's going on there and make um, D.C. work for everybody again? Well, we have to get that 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that will end the corrupting influence of money in our political system. But there's, there are things we can do right now while we're fighting for that. And one of them is we have got to start taking voting seriously. I know that we feel like our vote doesn't matter, but I promise you, I promise you, it actually does, especially in races in between presidential elections. Look, I don't know if you were raised this way, but I know I and so almost every single person I know was raised to believe that the most important election is the president of the United States, and then you go to sleep for four years and just trust that the government's going to get it done and then go out and vote for president again. And we've got to start thinking and understanding that that's actually not the most important a position that we need to be voting for it also is Congress this race that I, I am in this campaign that I'm running for US Senate is Congress and Congress holds the president accountable 
And so we've got to get out and vote. And, and the vote, by the way, is going to be on June 5th. You've got to make sure that you're registered to vote. And, and just continue to, to you know, better understand how this works and hold your government officials accountable. And I know it's scary, it's intimidating getting involved and, and, and understanding how it all works. It feels complicated. I certainly understand that. I was not raised in a political family, so I kind of had to like relearn government 101 all over again. But I'm here to say that we are all capable of doing that, taking one step at a time. And, and for me right now, it's about making sure that we participate in every election and make sure that the, I think the number one question we should be asking every candidate is, are you taking corporate money? Are you taking super PAC money? And if any of them are, they're an automatic no. If we show in every campaign around the country that we are no longer going to stand by and allow our officials to be bought, then we are going to get closer and closer to that 28th Amendment anyway, and we're going to have more people in office who represent everyday Americans. And the best way to make sure that we have an everyday American, or that we are as everyday Americans represented, is to have people from the middle class and the lower, the lower classes serving in office. But right now, we can't. This, this, this campaign, no doubt, is going to be very difficult for me because Dianne Feinstein is, is worth a, a, an estimated $80 million, okay, on top of the millions of dollars that are donated to her campaign who, by people who she rubs elbows with and eats dinner with. This, doesn't make, this may not make her a bad person, but it makes her incapable of being able to empathize with our lives and the, and the issues that she votes on and how they really affect us in, in the most real and deepest and saddest ways in, in a lot of cases. And so I think that the best way to have somebody represent me is somebody who really knows me and my issues. And that's what we've all got to do for each other. Now, let me ask you, um, we've just in the last month passed the 15 year anniversary of the war in Iraq. We've been in Afghanistan even longer and we've spent trillions of dollars in these wars. Um, our boys and girls have come, well, have, a lot of them have died over their thousands. Others are coming back missing limbs and damaged in other ways. Do you feel that, first of all, we should have gone into Iraq, and do you feel that we're overextended at this point and we should start focusing here at home? Well, Joshua, that's a very important question, and I think that the decision to go to war in both Afghanistan and Iraq, um, I think those two, those two decisions are two of the most catastrophic votes that we have ever had uh, in Washington. Um, when we went to war with both Afghanistan and Iraq, and you're correct, it's the 15-year anniversary in Iraq, it's 17 years in Afghanistan, two wars that have lasted longer than the Vietnam War. When senators voted to make a decision to go to war with both of these countries, it was predicated on the belief that the attack on the United States uh, originated from those two specific countries, that the intellectual authors, the architects of the attacks on uh, the Twin Towers on New York City and the Pentagon and elsewhere uh, originated from those two countries. 
there was no real proof or no evidence. And as a result, our world is less safer. Uh, we had never heard of Al-Qaeda. We had heard of the Taliban. And uh, w at the time, we, we did hear about Al-Qaeda, but we didn't hear about uh, ISIS mm -hmm. or ISIL. Mm -hmm. And as a result, our world is less safer because of our ongoing uh, wars, uh, both in Afghanistan and Iraq. And the figure that you pointed out, um, the general figure, trillions of dollars, we have spent not one, not two, three, four, but five, five trillion dollars. And I want to put this in context, because that's a, that's a hell of mo a lot of money. Mm-hmm. $5 trillion that we could easily have spent on health care for all. We could have spent that on college debt education, making sure all of our kids have an opportunity to, to succeed, especially if you're a working class family. We should have spent that money on uh, clean energy and moving forward a 100% clean energy future and freedom 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 from fossil fuel energy that are polluting our skies endangering the health of our children and involving our u.s military men and women all over the world in global co conflicts because of fossil fuel um we should have spent f five trillion dollars on rebuilding our infrastructure our highways our roads or retrofitting uh uh, bridges that are dilapidated and unsafe. When you do that, you grow an economy by putting hard hats to work. Uh, and uh, you give people real opportunities to succeed. It's, this has been disastrous. I would have uh, not voted, I would have voted no on those two wars. Now, one thing is that if the wars were conducted successfully, mm -hmm. um, if the wars um, uh, caught the culprits, uh, that they were in fact the architectural um, uh, 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 intellectual architects of the attacks on the United States but it was neither and the first Gulf War was a very different war because you had uh, Colin Powell leading and uh, you had a war that uh, was won I think in a few months or less than a few months and the Kuwaitis and the, the the Saudis, you know, finance that that war primarily. Uh, Five trillion dollars, taxpayer dollars. You're financing the future of uh, our children, the millennials, and that was a catastrophic decision. And the far-reaching effects you see now, the vast migration to Europe and other situations, and you realize it all it snowballed, and that's why decisions are so important. Um, because of the long-reaching effects. Let me ask you, um, when it comes to measures of civil liberties, we have um, Senator Feinstein, who supported the Patriot Act, um, warrantless wiretapping by the NSA, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Cloud Act, which just passed. It's just, it was snuck into the omnibus. But there's so many issues where um, our privacy is taken away from us and our civil liberties are damaged. Where do you stand on issues like the Patriot Act and things like that? 
Well, I can say this. I don't think Americans, and it doesn't make a difference if Republican or Democrat, want federal agents snooping into our business. Um, the Patriot Act, which was reauthorized back in 2006, and I think it took about maybe 45 days. It takes years to pass legislation in the U.S. Senate. Uh, the incumbent senator, uh, Democrat Senator Diane Feinstein, did vote for the reauthorization of the Patriot Act on the war on terror. Um, it's not lost to me that you have some bad folks out there who wish us harm. There's no question about that. The question is, is how do you make sure you safeguard the civil liberties of everyday Americans while at the same time pursuing those who wish us harm? Um, the FISA vote, voting to allow the federal government to eavesdrop and snoop on American citizens without a judicial warrant mm -hmm. smacks to me uh, something that's very, very un-American. If you don't like, you know, certain individuals or groups, then start wiretapping them and spying on them even if they're American citizens without a judicial warrant. I've always believed that, listen, if there's some bad folks out there, provide the federal judge uh, with the evidence, uh, he, or see, or he or she says, okay, green light, go for it, then go for it. But to unilaterally have the extraordinary powers to spy on American citizens is something that is quite chilling. And it doesn't make a difference, again, if you're a Republican or Democrat, this should send a shiver down everyone's spine. So if you're on the right and someone in the White House doesn't like what you're doing, then they'll start spying on you. If you're on the left and someone doesn't like what you're doing in the White House and they start spying on you, mm -hmm. uh, it is something that's quite scary. And anyone who votes for that, to me, uh, 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 is peeling away the civil liberties that we enjoy today as the greatest democracy in the world. And when you read books like 1984 and these things, it seems like we're really approaching that. And under this current administration, I don't think anybody feels comfortable with that. But um, we're running out of time. So um, let me ask you, this is, I don't know if you could nail this down, but um, where do you stand on private prisons? Are you for them or against them and, and criminal justice reform? Well, I'm not a fan of private prisons because I don't believe that you should commoditize uh, 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 human suffering for those who have been victims of crime and those who need to be rehabilitated and hopefully come out better citizens uh, when they finish their time, uh, that we should commoditize this and allow private for-profit corporations to reap profit from taxpayers. Mm -hmm. It just makes no sense to me. It's nonsensical. I think that, you know, uh, we need some very serious criminal uh, justice reforms. Um, I would never vote to allow 13-year-olds to be prosecuted as adults. That's, that's immoral, to allow a 13-year-old to be prosecuted as a, an adult, and I know that our incumbent senator uh, has voted for this. It, it just makes no sense. You're clogging up the prisons. You're wasting a lot of taxpayer dollars. They're not getting rehabilitated. They're coming out worse than they uh, walked in. Um, 
it, it makes no sense to me. You need some very serious criminal reforms, um, criminal justice reforms. You need rehab programs. We need to strengthen our public school system. We need to provide for more opportunities for low-income uh, kids, poor kids who live in Riverside uh, County. Give them a real opportunity to succeed. If they're not going to go to UC Riverside or Cal State, you know, San Bernardino, so be it. If they're going to go to community college and get a good career technical education in the energy efficiency space, uh, the clean energy space, whether it's geothermal out in Imperial you know, County uh, over by the Salton Sea, or whether it's uh, utility-scale solar as well as wind turbines, the clean energy, I think, is the future. And so just tying everything back together, these were back when they were running for Senate against Dianne Feinstein. Both Allison Hartson and Kevin DeLeon, we were very glad to have them on. And you have to realize that Dianne Feinstein's campaign put the word out to all media back at that time. If you cover her opponents, you were going to end up getting blacklisted. So if you, you aren't going to find a lot of information about Hartson or Kevin DeLeon that was coming out at that time because all media companies newspapers the press everything like that were not doing stories on her opponents because they didn't want to be blacklisted and so we did the stories and we got a lot of bruises that we'll talk about at another point and there's quite a story there and one day i'm going to tell you that story but we took some big hits for interviewing these people but i felt it was important because you, the voters, have the right to know. And so while it's honorable that Diane Feinstein has given us 50-plus years of her life in public service, it's time for her to step aside and allow the governor to appoint a new, fresh voice who's going to come at things from a different perspective and really be the voice of the people of California. And so it doesn't make someone a bad person that it's time for them to go, but it is time, and I wish Senator Dianne Feinstein the best. I'm very thankful for her service. But with this being in the news this week about Dianne Feinstein stepping down, possibly, and the governor replacing her, while obviously the decision is certainly in Dianne Feinstein's hands, about the timing of that, and if she so chooses to at all, this show just wants to go on record saying it is the time for that to happen, and we will be discussing this more in the future, and that story will be coming to light probably in the near future. But with that being said, let's be out there. Always let your voice be heard. Always speak out, because that's what matters in a democracy. So have a great week, and we will talk to you soon.